So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 5, all of it. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold pieces of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was not the money also at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to humans, but you have lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers, used, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded among the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall upon some of them, some of them as he passed. The crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about all, tell all the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arrival at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked and with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss 
wondering what might, what, what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a, on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God is giving to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the, in the days of the census and led a band of people into revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. <laughs> but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. Amen. <laughs> You will only find yourself fighting against God. Not a good move. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer, to suffer disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple court and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so we are in our Acts series. We are rolling into Acts 5. But just before we roll into that, because I'm seeing a few people here that, that, that I don't necessarily recognize, I'll just recap you as to where we're up to. So at the end of Acts 4, we heard all about the culture of the early church. The early church were knowing, going, showing, and growing. That's a great little preacher tool, that one. Four words, all ending in ing. It's a classic preacher move. Knowing, going, showing, and growing. So they were knowing. They were encountering the Holy Spirit in prayer and in manifestation. We've, we've been through Pentecost. The, the fire has landed on their shoulder. They've been praying. People have been hearing. Miracles have been happening. Amazing. They are knowing. 
They are going, they are preaching the word daily. They are showing, displaying the transforming power of God in their lives through their community, through teaching and praying for all Jerusalem. And they are driven by a passion and deep, deep love of Jesus. And they are growing. They went from a few at Pentecost to a church of thousands in a short space of time. So knowing, going, showing, and growing. And we hear that the church was sharing all their possessions so that no one was in need. And at the end of Acts chapter 4, we were introduced to Barnabas. Now Barnabas was a rich man who sold everything he had and gave all of the money to the apostles for the church. And he was held in high esteem. He was held up as an example of generosity and self-sacrifice for the early church. I know I'm going a bit fast, but I've got a lot to cover. If I'm going too fast, just wave at me, I'll slow down. The church was going for it. They were full throttle, radical love, completely counterculture to the, uh, the religious works that surrounded them. They were preaching grace and Christ crucified and they were seeing fruit. And as much as it pleased God, it frustrated the devil. Now, hands up if you've ever heard of Newton's law. Chris, could you tell us what Newton's law is, please? Yes, so every action has. Indeed, so Newton's law is that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You see, every square inch of creation, every atom, every subatomic particle is claimed by God. But every square inch, every atom, every subatomic particle is also counterclaimed by the devil. Now, here's the good news. I do like good news. The good news is that unlike in Newton's law, Satan's reaction may be opposite, but it is in no way equal. Amen. Amen. So this is the context in which we are introduced to Ananias and Sapphira. So we meet Ananias and Sapphira here at the, the beginning of chapter 5. Like Barnabas, they also sold their land, but unlike Barnabas... They secretly kept some of that money back for themselves. Now, instead of being honest about that and simply making a very generous donation to the early church from the proceeds of the sale, they allowed themselves and their hearts to be twisted and polluted by the enemy. And they attempted to deceive the apostles and lie to the Holy Spirit. That does not end well. But why? Why why would they lie? Was it a love of money? Was it, were they just compulsive liars? What, what, what exactly was it that they were gaining? Well, Charles Spurgeon, who is one of my heroes, he was a, a preacher from a while back. He tells a story about a shepherd and a wise man. Not the one you're thinking of. A different shepherd and a different wise man. Uh, So the the wise man, he sat by the river. He sits there every morning, has his cup of tea, watches the day unfold before him. Every morning, about five o'clock, the shepherd comes down to the river with his pots and his pans and his sieves and all that stuff, and he he scoops up some water, and he runs it through a filter, and then he he boils it, runs it through another filter until the dirty river water is nice and clean. It takes him about three hours every morning. 
that he carts off the water, won't see until the next day. So one morning the shepherd comes and the wise man says, let me just stop you there, my friend. What are you doing? I'm interested, I've been watching. And uh, the shepherd said, well, the river water is really dirty uh, and my sheep need some clean water to drink. If they drink that, then they're going to get sick. Well, the man says, okay, the wise man says, well, let's try something. Come with me. Let's walk upstream and see if we can figure this out. So they walk upstream. They walk, they just follow right until they get to the source. So they find the spring. This is the spring where the river is coming from. So it's fresh, beautiful, fresh water coming up. The problem is, at that spring, there are herds of beasts. There are animals, they are fighting. They are using the water for, for drinking. They're fighting over the territory. They're kicking up mud. They're doing their, their business in there and just turning this water nasty. And it just flows downstream and it's, it never ends well, which means he has to do all this filtration work. And the wise men said, why don't we build a fence around the spring? If we kick all these animals out, let's just see what happens. So we build the fence around the spring. Wouldn't you know it, three days later, the river is running pure all the way down. You see, Ananias and Sapphira had allowed their spring to be polluted. They had failed to guard their hearts and they'd given the enemy a foothold that would pollute their lives and actions all the way downstream. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The church in Acts, they were driven by a deep love of Jesus and their assurance of his love for them and through the achievement of the cross. Their heart was for him and everything they did flowed from that. So one of the great examples of this in my life was my granddad, Ted, who I don't think any of you, apart from maybe my mum, will know. But my granddad, Ted, so that's my, my dad's dad. Uh, he was a great man of God. I love that guy. Obviously, I, I didn't really appreciate it when I was younger. I wish I had. But he, he's changed my life, that man has, uh, in many ways. And... So my granddad Ted, towards the end, he got dementia. Uh, And dementia can be a really painful thing to watch. And it can result in some strange behavior. And towards the end, my granddad, everywhere he went, he'd have the Bible under one arm and a torch in his hand. Because a torch was, was the gift he was given when he was about eight years old, and he just had a fascination with them ever since. And the Bible... I'll leave you to make your own conclusions on that one. But those were the two things he had with him all the time. And towards the end, he couldn't look after himself. He he didn't recognize me. He he barely knew his own name. But what what he did, what he did remember was a song. And he used to sing it all the time. He always used to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it was all the way, yes, Jesus loves me. Honestly, like in the hospital, he was singing that. So when we sang it last week, I I was almost bawling. Good job I'm on the front row so no one could see me go. (laughs) As you probably saw my shoulders going. 
But this was a man whose love of Christ and the assurance of God's love for him was at his core. And it flowed out of him, even when the dementia had stripped him of so much of what I thought was my granddad. But you see, I'm, I'm thankful for that because it revealed the inner man, the core that would not succumb to the disease. The man who knew Jesus loved him and who sang about it long after he forgot how to use the toilet. That's my role model. That's who I want to be. And that, that level of being sold out for Jesus, that's what drove the early church. See, I wonder and I fear what a disease like that might reveal about the core of who I am. About the unfiltered state of my heart. It, it, it makes me ask questions of myself. What is our heart attitude towards God? Are you desperate for Jesus like you are desperate for your next breath? Are you tired of trying to filter the dirty water of your life instead of just walking upstream and guarding the spring? You see, you can't be clean downstream if you're divorced from the source. I pray along with the psalmist, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. The great revival preacher Jonathan Edwards said, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. It's a great concern as the business of a soldier is to fight, so the business of a Christian is to be like Christ. But you see, when we look at Ananias and Sapphira and we follow that river back to the spring, I believe what we'd find there at the root of, of, their, of their deception is the sin of pride. They saw what Barnabas had and they thought, I want that. But they weren't prepared to be real about it. They were so concerned about their financial security. They were jealous of the admiration that Barnabas was receiving. And their pride overtook them and filled their hearts, driving them to seek the admiration they believed that they deserved. For Barnabas, giving his money to the church was an overflow of his heart the overflow of a heart surrendered to Jesus. But for Ananias and Sapphira, lying in order to appear as if they'd given all their money was the outward expression of a heart set on receiving admiration and position within the early church. It reminds me of the parable of the sower, which is interesting, that came up earlier on where it talks about the, the, the plants that are being choked by the weeds. And the weeds are the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things to come. They come in and they choke the word and they make it unfruitful. See, there's an old saying that goes, sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle that fits them all. Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle that fits them all, and their pride shows itself in the form of a lie. A lie to the apostles, but more importantly, the Holy Spirit. 
So why is God's response so harsh? Why kill Ananias and Sapphira? Was their sin that bad? I mean, we lie. We try not to. But we're all fallen. We all lie. So if we look at John 16, 13, it says, this is Jesus talking, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, this is the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. See, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. He is truth. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not that they withheld the money, it's that they attempted to lie to God. To the Holy Spirit, whose express purpose is to lead us into all truth. That's according to Jesus. So we know that's a decent definition. <laughs> See, a lie can't coexist with truth in the same way that even the darkest of darkness cannot coexist with light. Now, this was serious. This was a serious sin to lie to the Holy Spirit. And it came right at the foundation of Christianity. The actions of Ananias and Sapphira had violated the purity of the early church. And the results had the potential to destroy it. And you see, because God is holy, he had two choices. He could either withdraw from the church and allow the, allow the church to fall or he could deal with the impurity and remain with his people. There's a similar story to this in the Old Testament. So if we go back to Joshua chapter 7, we hear all about this guy called Achan. So again, this was a, similarly at a, a very foundational stage of the church where they were just moving into the promised land. It's funny how the devil uses these attacks at key points throughout the history of the church. I don't think that's an accident. I think that is Newton's law. So, Joshua had just conquered Jericho, but God had instructed his people before they went to take down Jericho not to take any of the plunder for themselves. It was devoted to God, devoted to destruction. It was not for them. But Achan, in his foolishness, went in there and he kept some of that back for himself. Just as Ananias tried to keep some of the money back from his field for himself, so did Achan. And as Ananias and Sapphira tried to hide that fact, so did Achan. He buried that treasure under the ground inside his tent. They sinned, they lied about it. They tried to keep it secret. And it affects the whole body. The outworking of Ananias and Sapphira's sin could have been catastrophic to the spread of the gospel. The outworking of Achan's sin was that actually as a result of that, when they went into battle next, not knowing what he had done, they were routed. They were absolutely battered by AI, who were a much smaller force, and they should have just rolled straight over them. But they got done over because they weren't right with God because of one man's sin affecting the people. 
You see, because they abused God's mercy, they received, received his judgment. Now, both Achan and Ananias and Sapphira, they died as a result. But it's not murder. You hear people say, oh, God's this terrible, hypocritical murderer. Just read the Old Testament. No, 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 no. Murder is the taking of a life that does not belong to you. It's not murder. See, since God is the author and sustainer of all life, it cannot be murder for God to choose not to continue sustaining a life. That's an important point. No, it wasn't murder, it was an act of mercy. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't cursed by God for their transgression. If they truly believed, they hadn't lost their salvation. There's nothing in the text that says they lost their salvation. They were punished for their irreverence. So rather than withdraw because of impurity, God mercifully took them from this world into eternity, albeit at the cost of their mortal lives, where they were made pure in his presence in their resurrected bodies. Now, thankfully, this is not a policy that God has chosen to roll out for all sinners. (laughs) Because let me tell you, you would never have met me. (laughs) My mum can testify. I would have been gone before I could even say my first word. Uh, And I dare say this room would be a little more empty as well. So thank you, Lord. (laughs) So what was the impact of these events? There was, we see in, in verse 13, it says, although the people regarded them highly, no one else dared to join them. See, there was, there was a fear and respect of the, the authority of the apostles. And there was a great fear of God, in fact. Verse 11 says, and a great fear came over the whole church and all who heard about these events. You see, They, like we, we do, take God too lightly at times. God is not some magical wish-granting fairy in the sky with a big beard. We take him far too lightly. This is the creator of heaven and earth. The king of all eternity. The great high priest. There's so many names And they all reflect the the incredible character of God. But we take him lightly. We speak in tongues like it's no big deal. We, We experience healings and we don't thank him for them. We talk to God, the creator of heaven and earth, like it's nothing. We need to take God more seriously. That doesn't mean we have to be like miserable and all the time. It's fine. We can... God's got a sense of humor. God God is the source of all joy, but we also need to balance that with some healthy fear. And when I say fear, I do not mean terror, as the devil likes to twist righteous fear to be. I'm not talking about the way I feel about snakes, for example. If there was a snake there, there would be a Dave-shaped hole there, because I would be gone. (laughs) No, I am talking about what Martin Luther describes as filial fear, which is a holy inclination of the heart generated by God 
in the hearts of his children, whereby they, we, out of reverence for God, take careful pains not to displease him and earnestly endeavor to please him in all things. It is a motion of the heart. So what effect did this, this fear, this righteous fear of God have on the early church? Well, it was big news. And the purity of the church was maintained and publicly announced to everyone in Jerusalem. It served as a reminder that the God of Christianity is the same God of the Jewish faith, that same uncompromisingly holy King. There were more signs and wonders and miracles. The church was unified. They were held in high regard by the people who saw the integrity and purity of the church before God. Isn't that something we need to strive for? They continued to grow rapidly and they began to draw people from outside Jerusalem. Remember the Great Commission? It was to go to spread the word in Jerusalem, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. They had filled, the text said, they had filled Jerusalem with this teaching of, of Christ. Stage one, done. Ping. They were focused and they were fruitful. Going back to the parable of the, of the sower, because their heart condition was right before God, they were not concerned with the deceitfulness of wealth. They were not concerned with the things of this world. They were fruitful. Verses 13 to 14, it says, although the people regarded them highly, no one else dared join them, yet more and more believers were brought to the Lord. Large numbers of both men and women. Amen. I want to see some more of that. So the church survives this attack and it moves forward. And actually God, in the brilliant way he does, he turns it to his glory. But Newton's law kicks back in. The church is going guns again and Satan is not happy. Thankfully, as I said, his reaction may be opposite, but it is never equal. Satan realized he could not divide from within because that's where God abides. So he tried a new tactic. He stirred up the pride of the religious authorities, making them jealous, and he had the apostles rounded up and thrown in jail. But God, two good words, but God is sovereign. He was then, he is now, he will be tomorrow. God is sovereign. His will will not be outdone. It will not be overthrown. And he will use any means necessary to push his will forward. So he sent an angel. Mint. I hope I get thrown in jail so God can send me an angel. That'd be ace. I mean, I prefer not to be thrown in jail, just for clarity's sake. But yeah, he sent an angel who freed them from their prison cell. They were free. But because of their love for Jesus, their righteous fear of the Father, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, 
Because that far outweighed their fear of man, they returned to the temple as the angel instructed them to. That's brave. That's brave. I mean, that's bordering on stupid, but that's... I mean, I'd love to think that I, I would be so in awe of the presence of God and the angel standing before me that I would go, yeah, I'll go back to the place where I'm definitely going to get caught. Uh, <laughs> but I don't, honestly, I don't know. The obvious thing to do would have been to leg it, to get out to do one, out the city, and avoid coming under the undeserved judgment of the Pharisees, but God put them back in the game and told them to go to the one place they would definitely get caught because that's where the people were that he wanted them to preach to. See, at this point, the religious leaders sent for the guards to bring the prisoners from the jail. They were sitting there pretty smug, I'd imagine. They're like, oh, we'll squash this Jesus nonsense. Send for the prisoners. The guy comes back and he says, um, about that. <laughs> we got there, doors were locked, guards were outside, but they've gone. I mean, I can only imagine, like, the guy who was coming back with that news must have been terrified. they found out that not only had the disciples somehow miraculously escaped, they had used their freedom to return to the temple to openly defy the order not to preach in the name of Jesus. These guys were gutsy, man. And when the guards were sent to round up the apostles, they, the, the guards were afraid to use force. Because they feared that the people would stone them. Because the people could see that God was with these guys, these mental guys that seem intent on getting themselves locked up and whipped and killed. But they could see that what they were talking about was true. There was, it's, there, when I was sat down there, there was a phrase went through my head, water and fire. Which I'm aware sounds a little bit Game of Thrones, but bear with me. The water from the spring in those guys was crystal clear. They had that heart for Jesus. And as a result of that, when they were preaching, they were anointed with holy fire. They had that water and fire combination and everyone could see it apart from the religious leaders who were threatened by it. So these guards were too afraid to use force to bring them in. Now, again, if it was me... I'd probably use that to my advantage, slip out through the crowd and avoid being brought before these guys again. But no. You see, the apostles took Jesus seriously. When Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and he said to respect the earthly authorities, they knew that that meant even at the cost of their lives. They were committed to following Jesus. So they submitted and they went with these guys without needing to be coerced. And then there's the trial and this is where we see the contrast between Ananias and Sapphira and Peter and the apostles. See, Ananias and Sapphira were trying to hide their purpose. They were trying to hide their intentions. 
But when questioned, the apostles refused to hide their intentions. Ananias and Sapphira were intent on proclaiming a lie, but the apostles were intent on proclaiming the truth. Ananias and Sapphira were concerned with their own glory, with their standing in the community, their personal comfort and security. The apostles were concerned with one thing, and that's God's glory, even at the expense of their standing in the community, their personal comfort and security, and even ultimately at the expense of their lives. Ananias and Sapphira's deception would have destroyed the testimony of the church. But the apostles' testimony multiplied the effectiveness of the church, of the gospel message. Ananias and Sapphira had everything to give in terms of human resources and they held back. The apostles had nothing but Christ and him crucified. They refused to back down. They left their trial beaten, bloodied, and whipped. But when they stood in that trial, they stood without compromise. They were faithful to the truth of God. They proclaimed the truth. They proclaimed the gospel And they rejoiced. They rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for his name. That is a challenge. No one likes suffering. I hate suffering. I'm a wimp when it comes to suffering. And yet, these guys rejoiced that they were deemed worthy to suffer in his name. Lord, give me some of that. So in conclusion, when we look at the example of Ananias and Sapphira and the example of the apostles, we know where we need to be. We need to be more like the apostles. There are choices to be made in your life today, tomorrow, and every day after that. We need to ask ourselves, are we serving God's purposes in our lives or are we serving our own? Are we being real about being sold out for Jesus? Because we cannot lie about that to God. We may be able to fool each other on a Sunday morning. Please don't try. Let's be real. Let's be real before God and before each other. Are you guarding your heart? Are you building a fence of prayer around the spring of joy, of truth that God has placed within you? Are you desperately seeking to know and love Jesus? At the end of your life, will you be singing, Jesus loves me, this I know? Are you desperate to know Jesus more? 
Will you stand for truth in a world where truth has become unvaluable? Oh, that's your truth. This is my truth. Truth kind of depends on who you... No! Truth is truth. Truth has a name and it is Jesus. Truth has a name and it is the Holy Spirit. Truth has a name and it is God the Father. That's the truth. Will you stand for the truth in a world where truth has increasingly less valuable? Potentially at the expense of your comfort, your security, your social standing, or even your life. This is not a game. I'm sorry to go in hard, but this is who God is. Will you choose this day not to make holy living an accidental thing? Let's pray. Father God, help us to thirst for you. Lord, put salt on our lips that we would be desperate for a drink of you. Lord, lead us upstream to our hearts where we can protect it in prayer and thanksgiving, Lord, where we can swim in the crystal clear waters of your presence. Lord, help us to make living for you an intentional day by day, moment by moment, second by second reality, Lord. Lord, we want to be sold out for you. Because you can spot fake a mile off. Even when we can't see it in ourselves, Lord, you help direct us to the things that we need to change. So Lord, highlight areas of our lives that are muddying the waters of your presence. Lord, give us boldness to stand for you in this world. Give us the strength to speak the truth when it will cost us everything. Because everything without you is nothing. Lord, make us pure, make us holy so that you can use us more effectively. We submit to you, Lord. Not because we're overcome, but because we love you. Amen.